You are listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host, Sean Dietrich, and we are coming to you live via the podcast airwaves and the radios all over the nation. Lord knows who's listening to us right now in their car radio or their home console radio sitting on the nightstand. This music about here behind me right now, this band behind me, this is Hot October, everybody. Hot October.
to read you a little bit of our mail tonight. A little bit of our mail sent in to us from listeners all over the nation who've taken the time to put pen to paper or finger to keyboard and let us know what they think. Arnold Salinger, Raleigh, North Carolina. Sean, I'm writing you because you are like a partner on the road to me. I drive a lot in the car for work, and your show is my Monday friend. That's it. My letter's short. I was hoping that would give me a better chance of you reading it on the air. Thank you very much, Arnold. (laughs) Dear Arnold, drive safe, brother. Melinda Montgomery, Peen, Alabama. Dear Sean, I know how schedules get filled, and I know yours is as full as mine, but I couldn't let this invitation go without extending it to you. Our church is having a covered dish supper at 6 p.m. Our church is the Mountain Hill Baptist Church in the small community of Sellers, Alabama. It's a sweet community of lifers who've been there all their life and enjoy getting together. Anyway, we're small that I mentioned that. We only have around 30 to 60 people on a good Sunday. But we gather for a covered dish supper, so expect some down-home dishes being served. Anyway, it'll be on the fourth Sunday night service of September the 23rd, this coming week, 6 to 8 p.m., Mountain Hill Baptist Church. Join us, if you will. Wilson D., Springfield, Illinois. Sean, I had to tell you this story because I think you might like it. My dad was driving home last week, and he found a stray dog walking on the side of the road. He picked up the little guy and he brought him home and this thing looks like he's got some chocolate lab in him. My father could not get him to eat or drink a thing. The dog was too afraid, too afraid of things in the house. My father, because he's a very strange man, tried putting some beer in the dog's bowl. The dog lapped it all up, and he seemed to love the taste of it, much to my father's surprise. So my dad put in more beer all over his food, and the dog relaxed after he was finished eating. And he let my dad start petting on him. He even crawled up into my dad's lap. So my father won over this stray dog, Sean, and I don't think veterinary doctors would recommend it either, but he won over this animal with beer. Nowadays, he puts Old Duel's non-alcoholic beer on the dog's food. Oh, yeah, did I mention, did I mention, my father named the dog Cooter Brown. <laughs> Dear Wilson, thank you for that story. Bottoms up. Camille Corn. Landrum, South Carolina. Sean, Saturday evening, I was spending time with two of my rambunctious grandsons, ages five to eight. They were being especially rowdy, and their mama was ready to pull her hair out. I took them into the playroom and told them I wanted them to listen to something. So I pulled up a Sean of the South podcast on Google, and I played Take Me Out to the Ball Game. That was a show of yours that I liked. I figured this might capture their interest since they both play baseball. And they both laid down on the floor in front of the little speaker, and they didn't move for that entire story. And I mean, did not move. They had tons of questions afterwards about the story. This eight-year-old even asked if you had any more stories. His mama is considering a new bedtime ritual, so just keep doing what you're doing. I love your stories, and apparently so do the two little rowdy boys in Landrum, South Carolina. Love, Camille. Dear Camille, you made my week. No, no. You made my entire year. Shannon Pilsner, Louisville, Kentucky. Sean, my mother is a dirt road sport. She is the reason I'm writing you. 
She makes biscuits that would blow your mind. And this might sound so plain to say, but I had an epiphany just today. And I had to write it down or I'd lose it. My mother is the reason I am who I am. Quite literally, she is what made me, me. She listens to your show. I thought maybe you'd read this so she could hear it. Her name is Lana, just like Lana Turner. She's 81, and she will be listening to you in her nursing home. Tell her I love her. Dear Lana, your daughter, Shannon, loves you. Francine Byer, Austin, Texas. Hey, Sean, I'm writing you from Montana right now, looking at some incredible scenery all the way up near the Gallatin River. Little about me, I always wanted to catch fish, but I never knew how. Weird. I know, because I'm a woman. And I never got married, and there wasn't anyone to take me fishing, so I thought I'd be an old maid all my life. My dad died when I was a little girl, and my brothers, they would have rather died than take me fishing. I'm 50 this week, and I decided to take fishing lessons for the first time in my life. I went to a river in Montana, Gallatin River, and I rented a guide. He was a nice man. He taught me how to fly fish. And guess what, Sean? I'm good at it. I caught a fish on my first day, and I cooked it. It was the best thing I ever tasted. Since I've been up here in Montana, I've met a man. And he's a fly fisherman too. I don't know if it'll lead anywhere, but I don't care. He's a beautiful person inside and out, and I just like his company. Tonight, he's taking me out to dinner in Bozeman, Montana. I'm nervous, but hey, I'm living my life, and I want others to know they can live theirs too. Your friend, Francine. Anna Wall, Memphis, Tennessee. Hello, Sean. First off, I don't know if you remember me. But I came to see you speak, and when you were in Birmingham last spring, you told me you liked my hair, and I told you I liked your writing. It was a great night. The real reason I'm writing you is to let you know that I'm taking some advice you gave once. I recently moved from Alabama to Memphis to start dental school. Your podcasts were the only thing that kept me relatively sane in this transition. Your people are my people. Hearing you tell stories never ceases to transport me home. Anyways, I have become good friends with a very nice boy in my class, the kind of boy you'd like to take home to mom, and I've decided to take the next step in our relationship, which is to feed him. So tonight I'm putting down the biochemistry, and I am making a pound cake, but not just any pound cake, a triple-layer dentist's worst nightmare pound cake. I'm pulling out all the stops, and I'm using a recipe that's been in my family for one that is held right up there in reverence terms next to the doxology. I've heard you say that any real southern man has an undying respect for good pound cakes. So tomorrow, I plan to walk into our class with a Tupperware full of good intentions and saturated fat and plenty of sugar. Here's hoping that your theory holds true. Wish me luck. Dear Anna, good luck, darling. But I don't think you're going to need it with a cake like that. Steve from Beulah, Florida. Hey, Sean, my wife, Elvira, 
has a birthday on September the 24th. So maybe you could wish her a happy birthday on the show. We always listen to your podcast on Sunday evenings on the front porch with our big orange dog. So a very deserved, most happy birthday to the love of my life who nursed me through cancer. She made a grown man tremble. She made a grown man tremble with just a look, and she can still do it. She eats like a teenage boy, but looks like a Paris model. <laughs> she has a wicked sense of humor, and she does not suffer fools well. She's a boatload of contradictions, and I love her. Dear Elvira, may your life be like a good wine, full of sharp clear and complex personalities and like any fine wine may you only improve with age and most importantly like any mature wine may you be so expensive that your husband has to take out a third mortgage just to afford you and that's letters from our listeners going to have another tune here from hot october everybody hot october
Well, pretty soon it will be September the 22nd. It'll be September the 22nd. That is the first day of autumn, the very, very first official day of fall. And it will be here sooner than you think. In fact, some of the people listening to this on the radio or on the podcast airwaves are probably experiencing this September 22nd in person, live in the flesh. It's the first day of autumn. The people on the national news tell us that this is the time of year when the color is beginning to fade from the grass and from the trees, when the sap is beginning to withdraw from the leaves, turning them purple and gold and bright orange and red. And when the whole world gets a little bit of chill to it and the autumn crops are planted and you'll start to see pumpkins in the supermarkets and the sky gets a little less blue, a little more gray, and the sun gets a little more dim. And there's, there's sweater weather beginning to develop. Men on the national news are completely and totally unfamiliar with Northwest Florida and South Alabama. <laughs> because down here in Northwest Florida and South Alabama, it is hotter than the hinges of hell. <laughs> I watched the local news last night, and the, the news weatherman was wearing a white undershirt which he'd sweat through and he was pointing to a digital map on the television screen and he was telling us that it was 103 degrees in South Alabama and Northwest Florida. 103 degrees is weather hot enough to go to the store and buy you a Pillsbury tube of those godless biscuits and take them out one medallion at a time and place them on your dashboard and in 20 minutes, it's supper time. It is hot. It is languid. It is evil weather. Our Sunday school teacher, Miss Deborah, used to stand in the middle of the Sunday school class with her large 10-foot-tall beehive hairdo and denim dress that brushed the floor when she walked. She had been raised Pentecostal and so she got to talking about Pentecostal things, even among a small group of young children who gathered around her in their plastic chairs to watch her talk about the Bible with a picture board in front of the class, and she would use a pointing stick to illustrate different things on this board. I remember her talking about the book of Revelation to us. She loved to talk about the book of Revelation. And I can remember seeing a picture on that illustrated board of the moon covered in blood. And there was a photo or illustration depiction of a large beast with horns and 27 eyeballs crawling out of a sea ocean that had turned to pus and locusts everywhere and frogs everywhere. Once she was telling us about Gabriel blowing his trumpet, and she said, any child who is not ready, who does not look up toward the sky and and, and ready for the second coming, when Gabriel blows that trumpet, shall be found unready, and the devil will come and collect him in his Greyhound bus and take him straight to Hades. (laughs) We'll be trembling in our seats. We'd think and imagine the sound of Gabriel's trumpet vibrating the very roof itself and the whole world being split in two like a giant earthquake with the sound of that brass blowing 
And I can remember that particular class looking out the window behind her while she said these things. And I saw Jody Rhodes walking behind the window. Jody Rhodes had learned how to play, had learned how to play the trombone that year. (laughs) Jody Rhodes put that trombone up to his mouth and he pressed that bell of the horn against the window and he blew a B flat. (laughs) And that was the last time Jody Rhodes ever played in a middle school marching band. The people I come from used to take long drives during hot weather like this. Long drives. There was no explaining it. You didn't have to explain it. You just went somewhere and you turned around and you came back. That's all you did. There didn't need to be a reason. There didn't need to be a destination. There didn't need to be any agenda to be fulfilled. It was just riding. They rolled down the windows, my people. My father would take us in his green Ford truck. The vinyl would be so hot from the weather that it it burned the backs of your thighs if you were wearing shorts. And the dashboard was a little bit soft. That plasticized rubber was so soft you could press your hand in it and it would leave a mark in the shape of your hand. And he'd say, quit that now, quit that now. And he'd drive with the windows both rolled down and we'd ride along gravel roads kicking up a rooster tail of tan dust behind us rising into the blue sky beautiful drives with no destination ahead of us, just existing. I went for a drive a few days ago. I went for a drive. Something I hadn't done in a long time. I got into my truck. The odometer on my truck has a little thermometer next to it. The thermometer read 99 degrees. I decided not to take my dog, Thelma Lou, with me because 99 degrees is too hot for a dog. And so I left her at home in the AC. I rolled down the windows of my truck and I just found myself on dirt roads, riding across intersections that travel across the great American South. I saw green fields that are just just gorgeous and I saw blue skies that don't even hint at the oncoming signs of autumn ahead of me in the distance I saw a dog walking along trotting along it was a cream colored dog with khaki colored spots and ears standing up and a tail that was poking out behind him and he was panting and he was walking along the shoulder of this gravel road toward God knows where It was too hot for an animal that day, so I stopped. I pulled alongside him, and he stopped, and he just looked at me. My truck was still running. I opened up the passenger door in my my truck, the passenger seat. I said, come on, boy, come on. To my surprise, this collie-looking dog galloped toward me, and he jumped into my truck. I got in my, in my truck and I turned on the AC all the way down, turned the knob all the way down to the blue to make it as cold as it could go. My AC in my truck, even though the truck is old, will freeze you to death. It will make your bones hurt. It can get so cold in my truck you could hang meat. And I just drove for a little bit with that dog in my seat. He was a calm animal and he had his mouth open and his tongue poked out. He had two different colored eyes. And he he just looked out the windshield. My grandfather once told me there were two kinds of dogs in this world, only two. 
There were dogs who were, who were afraid. And these were the dogs who would bark at you when you would walk across their line of vision and maybe even chase you. Their fear had turned into vinegar and made them angry. And then there were dogs who were happy. There were no in-betweens. There were either dogs who needed a sign posted on a tree outside their lawn that said, Beware of dog. Or there were dogs who followed you home. Dogs with their mouths open and their tongues hanging out and the corners of their mouth drawn up to their eyes and it looked like they were smiling. Who wagged their tails and who just wanted to be near you. Who rode well in vehicles. Happy, happy creatures. You can learn a lot about humans by observing dogs, if you ask me. A dog is really just just an advanced form of human. They're pack animals. That's what science tells us. They they like to be around social settings. They're social creatures. We are social animals, too. And they're also, if you're looking at me here tonight, you'll notice that I'm as hairy as a dog. (laughs) I love dogs. I love them so much I've owned my share of them in my life. But truly, that's just a figure of speech because every dog I've ever been fortunate enough to be friends with has, has owned me. Yes, sir. My cousin Ed Lee was almost dog-like. He was a fun boy. He was Episcopalian. He's the only, the only sect of my family that was Episcopalian. Episcopalians are interesting creatures, my father used to say. He'd say, how many Episcopalians does it take to change the light bulb? He'd say, five. One to change the light bulb and the other four to mix drinks. My mother used to say Episcopalians were people who enjoyed themselves too much. My mother was a deep water Baptist. A deep water Baptist is the kind who believes in going way out into the, into the river and getting yourself dunked. An Episcopalian will sprinkle. And she, she believed there was an inherent problem in this. Sprinkling didn't purify nearly enough. Ed Lee came to stay with us one summer, the Episcopalian child. I listened before he came with my ear to the heat vent, and I heard my mother and my aunt talking about my cousin Ed Lee. They said he was a wild child. My mother said, I don't know if I can let Ed Lee come stay with us. I'm afraid he'll be a bad inference on Sean. (laughs) A bad inference. I didn't know what this was. I asked Ed Lee about it that very next day that he came and he arrived with his duffel bag full of clothes and he made himself at home in my room. I said, what's a bad inference? He said, oh, come on, everybody knows what that is. Ain't you ever watched football? Whenever somebody throws a pass and it's inferred with, the referee raises his hand and says, pass inference. (laughs) Ah, I see, I see. He was a smart boy. He knew more things than I did. He knew words I didn't know. Words with not very many letters in them. And he knew, even more importantly, how to use these words. He spoke with an authority of age, even though he was only two years older than me. He knew more things than I did. He was fun. He was happy. I don't think I ever saw him get angry about anything. He would walk along the side of the road and he would stoop down and look at old cigarette butts and he would pick them up and he would straighten them out and smooth them off and he'd put them in his shirt pocket and keep walking. I said, why are you doing that? He said, if you, if you get these just right, you can light them on fire and you can have yourself two seconds worth of a good smoke. 
And he learned a lot about the Baptist church that summer that he came to stay with us because my mother made certain of this. She said, if we're having an Episcopal stay in our house, then by God, he's going to leave here with enough Baptist gravy all over him that he will practically eat and sleep deep water baptism. Her goal was probably to get him into the river behind the church, completely immersed and dunked. But there was a slim chance of that happened, and she knew that. And so she just made our home at that church. We helped do maintenance with the maintenance man, Mr. Gary, sometimes. We helped clean up the, 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 the sanctuary after service. We were greeters one Sunday. We helped with the youth group. We helped with vacation Bible school. My cousin Ed Lee and I lived at that church. On Wednesday nights, once a month, our church used to do a potluck and a foot washing service. Some people don't know what a foot washing service is. I've met a whole lot of people since I've started doing this, this show who'd never heard or been to a foot washing service. It's quite a simple affair, really. On a Wednesday night, after the sun is set, our church would gather together three old ladies, maybe four, with frilly white hair that you could grow African violets in, who wore pearls and pumps, and they wore Estee Lauder youth do. And they would put on a white choir robe, and they would sit at the altar in front of a vacant folding metal chair. And to their left, they would have a porcelain pitcher full of water. And just, just beneath the fold metal chair would be a big bowl, which was really a brooding sow's feed bowl. <laughs> Someone would walk up, sit in that chair, and get their feet washed by this little kind old woman with soft hands. And the idea was to purify yourself and sometimes confess your sins to one another, but really... It was just an act of servitude, an act of servitude among God's people. It was a reverent service. Miss Betty would play the organ in the corner. She also had frilly white hair. Organ playing is a dying art, I'm afraid. Organ playing is something not many young people are learning today. The organ is hard. It is very hard to play. To play the organ, you must move your feet and your hands and your fingers and your eyeballs all at the same time. Miss Betty would play songs like Savior, Like a Shepherd, Lead Thee, or Fairest Lord Jesus, or There's Room at the Cross for You. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. My cousin Ed Lee and I stood in line among a group of people waiting to get our feet washed. The women sitting at the altar of God were washing people's feet. I saw them washing Jody's feet, who had played the trumpet once during a Sunday school class. <laughs> Ahead of us in line was Brother Trey Jackson. Brother Trey Jackson had silver in his hair. He was tall and he was lean, and he worked at a place that manufactured cinder blocks. Now, I knew... Trey Jackson's story, he had been long ago in his yard as a boy playing football with his brother while his father was push mowing. Trey Jackson's brother threw that football long and Trey ran after it and he slipped on that wet grass and he went feet first into the lawnmower and he lost every toe on his both feet. And every day thereafter he had to wear special shoes with a wood block 
placed in the center of that shoe because the big toe is what is responsible for you keeping your balance. He wore these special shoes. You would never know it to look at him that he didn't have the toes on his feet. And he walked like a normal person with, with them shoes on. My cousin Ed Lee was standing beside me a lot, and he was, he was cracking jokes. He was good at telling jokes. My cousin Ed Lee and I were snickering together, and, and, and Ed Lee was telling jokes that he ought not be telling. And Trey Jackson overheard this standing in front of us. He looked back behind himself and said, Have you ever been to a foot washing service before? My cousin Ed Lee quit snickering. He said, No, no, no sir, I have not. He said, Oh, hmm. Well, then that means you don't know about the confessing your sins part. Ed Lee said, no, I guess I don't. Ed Lee wore a smirk on his face. He didn't take this guy too seriously. Trey Jackson said, oh, well, you see, when I was your age, people called me a wild child. A wild child. I used to do wild things. My mama sent me to a foot washing service, and I, I waltzed down the aisle, and see, I was just... I took everything lightly, and I was irreverent. And when that woman up there, you see that woman in the white choir robe, when she asked me to confess my sins before she washed my feet, I said, I didn't have no sins that needed confessing. He said, but that is not what you do. Mm-mm, no, sir. You do that, and you're liable to see that woman for every sin that you've forgotten. She'll pull out a little jackknife and she'll cut off one of your toes. (laughs) Cousin Ed Lee laughed. He said, you can't be serious. Can you believe this guy? He said, looking at me. Trey Jackson said, okay, okay. But don't say, don't say I didn't warn you. It took me, took me several years to to keep a good, good list of my sins so that I could confess before I got my feet washed. When it was Trey Jackson's turn to get his feet washed, he walked straight up to that old woman who was sitting there on that chair. A little old woman with the white pearls on. She said, oh, Brother Trey, how are you tonight? He said, I'm good, I'm good. She said, how's your wife? He said, she's good, she's good. She said, how are your kids? He said, oh, they're growing up too fast. She said, oh, that's good. Do you have anything you'd like to confess? You know, the Bible says to confess your sins among one another in love. He said, hmm. Yes, you know, you know, I, I had an evil thought toward a co-worker of mine a few weeks ago because he had, he had stolen some, some overtime hours from me. And I feel right sorry about that. And I'd like to ask the Lord for forgiveness. She said, oh, the Lord forgives. Would you take off your shoes? Trey Jackson unlaced his boots and kicked them off, and he removed his socks. Ed Lee caught a good glimpse of his feet, which were bare. There were no toes in a single one of them. And Ed Lee looked at me with eyes as big as serving platters, and he nearly made a mess on the floor. And that woman washed Trey Jackson's feet, and he put his shoes back on. And he walked past Ed Lee and he winked his eye and said, I hope you got a good memory, son. <laughs> Ed Lee turned around. He was not going to have a part of this. He was going to run right out of the church. But my mother came from the back of the church and she pinched Ed Lee by the earlobe 
and she helped him find his seat. She set him down and she helped remove his shoes. And Ed Lee was, had turned completely pale white. He was terrified of what would happen next. And this little old lady just glared at him. <laughs> glared at him. And she said, do you have anything you'd like to confess to me? And Ed Lee looked at her and said, you might as well just cut off both my short thighs because I'm Episcopalian, man. <laughs> I thought about my cousin Ed Lee while I was driving along the road with that little dog beside me. I thought about him. I thought about people like my Uncle John. He was a happy man, a happy man who used to know a world's worth of jokes. He was an encyclopedia of jokes, that man. I thought about that. I thought about the, the drives my father used to take me on with no particular destination in mind. That dog, he was a, a, a kind animal. I reached my hand out and I pet his fur. He smelled kind of bad. But he looked at me and he was just grateful. He was grateful. Grateful for the air conditioning, I guess. Maybe grateful for the ride. Maybe his feet were tired. And I can't begin to imagine how tired that dog must have been. I can't begin to imagine how far he must have walked. I stopped off at a gas station. I filled up my truck, and he jumped out. And he walked inside this little garage. And I saw him get a drink of water. There was another dog in there, a black Labrador. They were both lapping out of the same steel water bowl. The collie came back toward me, and his fur was dripping with water just dripping with water. A puddle was forming underneath underneath his head while he just looked at me. And we exchanged a look, me and a dog. I asked the woman inside the cash, uh, behind the cash register in the gas station about that dog. She said, oh yeah, he's, he's been up and down these roads for years now. Nobody knows where he, where he belongs. I said, what's his name? She said, he don't have no name. He's never anywhere long enough to have a name. But he sure is. He's a happy dog, ain't he? Yes, he sure is. I got in my truck. I invited him back into my truck, but he, he didn't want to come with me. He turned around and he started walking the other way. Started walking down the road. And I saw him disappear over the hill just in the distance. Hot summer day. He must know what he's doing. If you can be anything in this world, anything at all, it's my hope, my wholehearted hope, that you are truly, truly happy. Happiness, that's, that's what I'm getting at here. Hey, thank you very much for having me this evening. It's been a good pleasure. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I'm your host today, Sean Dietrich. And it has been a bona fide pleasure, if I do say so myself. I hope you join us next week, and maybe even the week after that, if you ain't got nothing going on. The music you heard behind me today was Hot October, with their debut album receiving notable acclaim. This acoustic quintet is already making waves as one of the few crossover bluegrass bands that is really, really something else. Recent main stage performances at the Northwest String Summit and the highly prestigious Topanga Banjo Fiddle Contest have cemented 
Hot October as one of the new favorites of this year. Do yourself a favor and check out HotOctober.com. Find their music on iTunes, Apple Music, or Spotify. Download their self-titled debut album, Hot October. To find out anything more about what I do, you can visit SeanOfTheSouthShow.com, and there you can find archived episodes beginning with our first episode, when we did not know what we were doing, to now, where we barely know what we're doing. While you're there, I hope you take the time to drop me a line, because I love to hear from my friends. Tell me about your birthday announcements, grandparents' anniversaries, church potlucks, and even bar mitzvahs. And I'll do my best to read them over the air, because I love to do that sort of stuff for my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, listen to your dreams. They're a lot smarter than you are. Adios. I'm down and out. Got the loss in your love. 